Okay, it's time for the main message today. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 20 as we look at a story about a young man, actually a young boy, who um, fell out of a window while he was listening to a sermon. So we'll have a look at that now. So we're looking at Acts chapter 20, verse 7 to 12 this morning. Read along with me. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples were come together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him and embraced him, and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again, he had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day. So he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer and commit this time to him. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to look once again in your word, and we pray that you would be our teacher and our guide. I pray that our hearts and our understanding would be open to your truth, and I pray that your spirit will be directing us, will be leading us, will be illuminating our understanding. Father, we thank you that we can look into your word and that we have it, and that we can trust it. We thank you that you've preserved it for us and that you have shared your own heart with us through that. Bless us now as we seek to learn more of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> um, before I uh, became a Christian, before I uh, was born again, I took an interest in, uh, in, in a small group. Where we, we used to join together uh, with a, a few people uh, in someone's bungalow at the back of their house where we used to have Bible devotions together. And while I was at uni, I was... Um, uh, searching for this particular truth and uh, the more I um, uh, read the Bible the more I began to understand it the more I understood that it was quite a special book <clears throat> this particular um, sermon that I'm sharing with you today is probably the earliest sermon that I remember or devotion that I remember of those days just before I became uh, saved um, it <laughs> I was surprised when I read, when I um, listened to this particular devotion that was given that night, um, that someone could tell a story so seemingly um, insignificant. Well, I mean, someone dying and falling out of a window is not insignificant, <clears throat> but the fact that um, that story seemed so real to me, um, and that the the message through that story actually was relevant to me at that time specifically. I began to realize that the post, that the Bible itself was actually a book that was relevant to me, completely relevant. It wasn't just some history book. It wasn't just a, a book that um, contained <clears throat> stories, but it actually contained stories for a specific reason. Um, reasons that illuminate or, or help me understand my spiritual need. I saw myself uh, uh, in those days and the I suppose uh, since then, in the characters in those stories and those events, 
that were described in the pages of the Bible. I realized the Bible was a living book, um, straight from the heart of God himself. And so in sharing the story with you today, I feel like I'm sharing a little bit of myself and my, my past, uh, a past that shaped me. Uh, and I hope that you're blessed by this uh, sermon today. Let's give you a bit of background to this particular story. The Apostle Paul had just been in Greece for about three months, uh, visiting and encouraging believers in various churches there. And after completing this, uh, this particular missionary trip, um, he decided to visit Asia Minor on his way to Jerusalem, uh, seeking to be there for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But circumstances didn't allow it. So Paul ended up uh, waiting behind while some of his uh, fellow uh, believers who were traveling with him, who were with him uh, during those days, went ahead of him to a place called Troas. So Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, um, mentions that he was with Paul. So when he, when, when uh, Luke says we, um, uh, you'll, you'll notice that uh, he's the writer. So he's saying that he's with Paul during those days too. But turn back a few verses with me. And you'll read in verse 4 and 5, it says, And there accompanied him into Asia, um, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychicus, and Trophimus. These going before tarried for us at Troas. So we're Luke saying that, um, they were with them together in, in Greece. In fact, I think it was Philippi they ended up leaving from. Um, and they went ahead. And you'll notice some of those, <clears throat> those names in there. Like Timotheus is, is Timothy. It's the, it's the same Timothy that Paul uh, wrote those letters to. And he had a number of other believers there with him as well um, who were um, supporting Paul in his, uh, in his trip and in his ministry. Um, and these people... Uh, who went ahead to Troas uh, before Paul, um, were from various churches. And it's obvious. They were from Berea, from uh, Thessalo uh, Thessalonica, um, from uh, Asia. And so they were representing different churches on their way to uh, Jerusalem. They were bringing a gift with them as well in order to be a blessing to the church there that was still struggling with famine and poverty. And no doubt these men were traveling with Paul um, in order to be an encouragement to the various believers uh, there with Paul. But also when they all arrived in Jerusalem, they would be an encouragement and they would be um, a support uh, for Paul as he uh, shared that gift with the Church of Jerusalem. And they could share stories and tell them about how all the churches were going outside of uh, Israel. They arrived at Troas, um, and which is today modern-day Turkey, which is a region that existed around the ancient city of Troy. Yes, that's the same Troy that uh, the Troj we get the Trojan horse story from. So they arrived at Troas, and it, it took. Um, it, they went ahead, and it, Paul left from Philippi, and it took him about five days to travel by ship from Philippi to Troas. And if you look at verse six, it says, "And we sailed away." This is Luke and Paul and possibly some others. We sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And it came unto them and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. So they were only in Troas for a week. But because of the delay, 
because of the trouble that Paul had had in Philippi before, uh, he couldn't uh, travel with the rest of them. Uh, I think there was a concern that maybe they were able to cause problems uh, for him. They had tried to uh, cause problems before, and he probably felt that uh, it would be wiser for them to go on their own without him. Um, but because of the delay, Paul couldn't make the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But he still hoped to make it by Pentecost. So he arrived at Troas with Luke, um, where there was already a church established. And Paul calls these people that were in that church the disciples. He simply calls them the, the disciples are followers of Jesus. And he was there, as I said, with them seven days. So things didn't go exactly as to plan, as Paul would have wanted. And the first thing I want you to understand, the first, the first thing I'd like you to learn, is that some people are of the impression <clears throat> that as Christians, we should just live day by day and not make any plans. But the obvious is true in Scripture. In fact, this whole missionary journey that Paul was conducting along with the people that were with him, along with the, with the money that they had planned to bring to Jerusalem for a specific need, um, is the exact opposite of what some people say Christians should be, as if like, you know, we should only, we should, we should only be living for today because Jesus can come back anytime. Um, and therefore, don't worry about, don't plan for tomorrow. Well, Jesus told us not to worry about tomorrow. Jesus didn't say not to plan about tomorrow. In fact, to do the Lord's work, in fact, to do any work, as Paul uh, shows very clearly here, you have to plan. You have to make accommodation for what's coming up next. And Paul obviously planned. He sent the others ahead. He planned to be at Troas. He wanted to be at um, at uh, Jerusalem during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Didn't work out, but he still planned it. So Paul was obviously delayed in his travel. He wanted to be in Jerusalem by the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but didn't make it. So even his trip by sea, which is interesting enough, um, which took two days previously, now took him five. So even the wings were not exactly um, supporting him in his trip to get there. Did Paul despair? No, he didn't despair about why things weren't going his way or why God was not blessing him with good wings and all those things. He didn't worry about those things. He didn't have any control over that were in God's domain. But he simply sought to do that thing which God had called him to do, and that was to get to Jerusalem to be a blessing to them and along the way, bless the churches and encourage them as well. That's all he had to worry about. And he planned it along the way and the Lord then directed the rest of the paths. He could plan. And sometimes the plan didn't always work out, but he didn't despair. He didn't get worried. He didn't feel as if the Lord was stopping him from doing what, you know, what he wanted him to do. No, no, he trusted the Lord to direct his steps. He didn't worry about what was coming tomorrow because all he had to do was simply obey and be faithful. Now we find ourselves locked down again in Melbourne through circumstances that are outside of our control. And though our desire is to be a church and we want to obey uh, God's precepts and, and commands and laws and so, which tell us to be together, um, we find ourselves streaming via YouTube again. That can get frustrating and we could get frustrated, but getting frustrated doesn't really serve any real purpose where we can avoid it, it's probably not good to get frustrated. What we can do is we can say, Lord, you know my heart, 
You know I want to do this. You know I would be there at church on Sunday morning so we can leave the rest with the Lord, as Paul did. Trusting in the Lord um, when your plans and desires are not met, when things that you would like to do, when things that you're even planning to do for the Lord don't eventuate, um, will help you. If you're trusting in the Lord and say, you know what, I can do this much and I want to do that to serve you, Lord, and to obey you, but I know that all the circumstances around are under your control, so I'm going to simply follow what you do, what you actually allow me to do. Um, that'll help you to not lose sleep. That'll help you to not become anxious. When it comes to following the Lord, we may desire one thing in serving him, but he may want something else for us to do. We may not know all the details of God's plans for our lives, but we don't need to. That's where faith comes in. We know the bigger picture. We know exactly what he wants. We know what he wants us to do generally, but the details are really his. And so we can plan, and we can plan certain details in, but you know what? If a certain detail within my plan doesn't fit his plan, then he'll change that plan to go along his path. So um, it works out for the best. Either way, we can trust that he is in control of the circumstances for good. You know, the Bible teaches that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. So simply love the Lord. Simply seek to follow and obey him. Jesus told us that if we love him, we will obey him. So that's all we have to do. We simply have to obey. And if we can't obey as we would like, like on Sunday morning, we can't be a church. You know what? That's his domain. Leave that with him because we know that all things work together for good. So leave the anxious, leave all the burdens with God and just seek to obey and love him. So let's examine this church meeting that happened at Troas when they all got there. Look at verse 7 of Acts 20. It says, Upon the first day of the week, when the disciples were come together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, that's tomorrow, the next day, and continued his speech until midnight. Did you notice when the disciples came together in Troas? It was the first day of the week. It's literally, it's not a Monday, it's a Sunday. Where were they? Well, they were probably meeting in someone's home. Someone with a three-story home, mind you. That's probably the most likely scenario. They could have also been um, uh, meeting in a hired uh, room or building. Um, but they had come together in this place, on this third level, um, to break bread. You know what they were doing? They were celebrating communion together on Sunday. Surprise, surprise, surprise. You know, in the 18th, uh, 18th century, uh, or the, in the 1800s, a number of cults arose, primarily in the US, which began to teach that Christians were supposed to meet on a Saturday, that all the other denominations were, you know, were, uh, uh, were wrong and had false doctrine meeting on a Sunday. And so they looked at to the Sabbath, which is the Saturday, as the right day. But what does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches that the early church all met on a Sunday instead of a Saturday to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And why do we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus? Because it was the resurrection of the Lord Jesus that 
proved who he was, proved that God accepted the sacrifice, and it proved that he had defeated death for our sake. It also was the confirmation that God had begun a new covenant, a new agreement with mankind, which supersedes every other agreement. And this is what the disciples were doing in Paul's day. The disciples were meeting together in a home on a Sunday to break bread, to share their stories one with another, to listen to the word of God, to celebrate and worship him. Do you remember that I was telling you that Paul and the other believers were bringing a gift to the church at Jerusalem? Well, when do they collect that money? Well, let's, let's in the same way that we get together on a Sunday and most churches actually have a collection, they collect money on a Sunday, we have a box at the back of the church where people put money in but the same way we collect money on a Sunday is the same way they used to do it. They used to collect money on a Sunday. And why would you collect money on a Sunday? Because you're a church on a Sunday. Let's, let's have a look and see some of these uh, examples. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. So these people who were traveling with Paul from various churches had all collected money within their churches and pulled it all together so they could all bring a gift to Jerusalem to be a blessing to them. And, and, and mind you, it shows that even though we are independent churches, we should be supporting each other uh, in those things where, where we struggle. Okay. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 says this. Look at Paul's instructions to the Corinthians. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, these are the saints in Jerusalem, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. So you do the same. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. So Paul didn't want any other get-togethers or any other trying people collecting money when he got there. He wanted it all collected on the Sunday. When I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go, if it's a good, if it's good that I go also, they shall go with me. So the churches, Paul says, of Galatia, which is a, a whole region, and the church at Corinth that he was instructing with this letter, he was telling them all, he gave them all the same instructions. When you get together on a Sunday, I want you to take a special collection for the church in Jerusalem so we can bring it to them. And he says to them, well, I want you to buy, buy your letter. I want you to write a letter with respect to who you're going to send as a representative of your churches. Uh, and he goes, and if, if I can go, and if it's good that I go, I'll go with them as well. And it says that as God had prospered them, collect that money on a Sunday. Why a Sunday? Because they were all a church on a Sunday. All the churches in Greece, all the churches in Galatia were already meeting, worshipping and breaking bread on that day. So why? Why do we meet on a Sunday rather than a Saturday? When the command says, um, uh, honour the Sabbath. Well, look at Luke chapter 24, verse 1. Luke chapter 24, verse 1. 
It says there, now upon the first day of the week, once again, that's a Sunday, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulchre, that's the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. Why on a Sunday morning was Jesus' body not there? Because he rose on a Sunday morning. And that's why we celebrate every Sunday. We are celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, the beginning of the new covenant, the celebration of his victory over death. Turn to John chapter 20, verse 19 for a moment. And I'll just share with you one more passage. Because on that same day, it says in verse 19 of John chapter 20, then the same day at evening, so on the same day that they had found that tomb empty, in the evening time, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had, uh, had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. So on that day, Jesus sent out his disciples. He gave them peace and he showed himself to his disciples on that day. And that's the reason why we celebrate a Sunday. And Troas was celebrating a very special Sunday on this day. You see, the Apostle Paul was about to preach at their church. They had people from other churches who were visiting them as well. It would have been an awesome day. Um, the Apostle Paul, imagine uh, having the Apostle Paul pre, uh, booked in to preach at your church. We had, by coincidence, we had uh, Brother Chris Hustler, who was booked to preach for us at Faith today before the lockdown happened. I'm sure many of you were actually looking forward to hearing a message from him. But imagine the excitement and stirring of the believers who were looking forward to hear the Apostle Paul preach. Can you imagine the preparation that had taken place? I mean, they were having a dinner together that night and they were going to break bread and celebrate communion. They were visiting people from other churches, from Corinth, from, uh, from other places. And Timothy was there and all these people they'd probably heard about, but that maybe they'd never met before. And now they were all there at their church, this church at Troas that really wasn't a big church, but hey, they were there. So it was a special day for the church at Troas. And we also celebrate when we have visiting speakers and we have things together with other churches. You know, Paul was preaching for them in much the same way that we find ourselves today. Uh, Sundays were normal working days for most people in the, uh, in the Roman Empire and for all Jews. The early believers often had to work maybe during the day to continue their, you know, to provide for their families. And they had their meetings in the evenings. Sometimes, in fact, probably many times they had their meetings in the evenings. They probably started to work during the day. Um, we we have celebrated um, uh, Sundays over here in uh, in Western culture, where Sundays essentially were locked down, where you no shops were open for quite a while. It's been only the last you know thirty years or so where things have started to you know to open up, and Sundays have become like a day like any other day. But for many years, 
um, uh, most things were closed on a Sunday. The difference, and so you don't, you couldn't do anything. You had to literally had to rest. But uh, in those days, the shops weren't closed on a Sunday. Work wasn't uh, shut down on a Sunday. And so the early believers, even though they, they, they chose to meet on a Sunday, probably had to work from early, early on. Um, and they often only had the Sunday evening to meet. And that probably explains why they were meeting in the evening here as well. And one of the reasons that we know they were meeting in the evening here is it says, well, the passage tells us that Paul preached until midnight. Well, they, it's very unlikely also that Paul would have preached from 10.30 in the morning like uh, we do and preached until midnight at night. I mean, that's, that's something that even I can do. Um, preaching for that long, that's 12, that's what, 13 and a half hours of preaching. I think that may have been a little bit too long for Paul. So they met in the evening during that time. Uh, and even though the Apostle Paul and the other believers had been with them for one whole week, um, the very next day they had planned to depart. So this Sunday was a really special day. It looks like they had arrived on the Monday and then had planned to leave on that on that Sunday. And they um, and they and it, it must have been a very special time uh, for them. And like I said, they probably put a lot of effort into preparing food and doing all those sorts of things and making sure that all their families and friends were over. Um, so it was a very special time. And they probably would have beckoned Paul and to stay longer if he could, uh, because they may have never seen him again. It was very likely that they would never see him or the other uh, uh, disciples again that were visiting with him. Um, so he preached for what looks like between two and three hours. And yes, it's even long for me. They probably had dinner together. They broke bread as part of this. And then he probably gave a sermon that went up till midnight. And if you look at verse 8, it says, And there were many lights in the upper chamber. So imagine this church on the third floor of this house or this, or this building. And they were all meeting together. They were, they were all there, all together. It was probably a pa pretty packed room. And they were there. And, and it says in verse uh, 8, And there were many lights in the upper chamber. Uh, where they were gathered together. I mean, in those days, you didn't flick a switch and the light came on or, you know, a few lights came on uh, on top of you. To illuminate a room like that, you needed many, many um, uh, lights around you because they were not even candles. They were um, uh, lamps and they would use oil and that there'd be a flame that would come at the end of it. Um, but you'd need a number of them all around the room. But can you imagine the glow would have given the room? It would have been a lovely, warm sort of atmosphere um, in that, in that uh, place there. Uh, maybe a wealthy brother owned that particular home and maybe allowed it to be used for that uh, for that thing. But either way, they had shared a meal together. They were in a room all together. These lamps are glowing all around you, and you know, it would have would have been a very cozy. It's almost like having a family reunion on a really special night together. Um, it would have been a warm atmosphere. You would have been there together with your brothers, listening to Paul and just being excited about what he had for you. Maybe, he, maybe you can imagine the stories that he would have been telling you know, your church about what had happened, what the Lord had done through him and what was happening at the other churches. Um, it would have been a very warm atmosphere, uh, maybe also in temperature, in literally the, uh, the temperature of the room. A lot of people uh, crammed into one room. Uh, maybe there wasn't the actual... Um, the, the, the airflow that they probably needed. Um, 
and it was probably a like I said a, a very warm uh, atmosphere something about the f a flame uh, the light from a flame that uh, that makes something seem special for us I suppose you know compared to a fluorescent tube or something like that um, having a, a, a flame light up the room maybe candles or that, whatever that that, um, that may be um, gives you a, a sense of, of calmness sereneness uh, and just that yellow that warm light uh, makes a difference I, I and I'm assuming many of you um, have special memories um, at camps where um, where uh, you start a fire in the middle and uh, and while that's that's giving you that glow uh, we're singing songs and praying around around this campfire and so Paul sharing the word of God and the stories with with your church and, and with your family members around you and with other believers uh, would have been a special time and would have been quite a um, quite a blessing but the lamps used uh, in that room to light up the room would have burnt oil and would have produced <laughs> extra carbon dioxide um, which would have probably made you a little bit more sleepy than usual uh, it was probably a bit stuffy the room um, and so we we get introduced to this this uh, young boy named Eutychus now it calls him a young man but you know what you know, after about 13 years of age, they were called men already. So a young man was probably very, very young. He's probably he's probably in his teens still. So he's not like, you know, he's not like an, a 24-year-old or something like that that we would call a young man today. But uh, this young boy probably worked during the day, probably had done a whole lot of other things. And here we are, we're approaching midnight. You've had, you know, you've had a great meal together. All the excitement is starting to, you know, to, to wane down and you're listening to, to the Apostle Paul and, He's probably feeling a little bit sleepy and so he decides to sit and we find him sitting uh, in a window so if you can imagine there was no glass so that, that the window was just a hole in in the wall and he was sitting in that window so the window was probably wide enough uh, for him to just sit himself down he probably wasn't a, a big kid he was a he was probably a, a you know a, a young and, and, and thin uh, uh, boy uh, so he was able to sit in that window maybe he did it to get a bit of fresh air as well uh, I, I, I'm not exactly sure maybe he wanted some fresh air uh, to stop himself from getting even more sleepy maybe he was you know starting to get a bit tired or, or you know maybe Paul was uh, was going on and on and he thought I'm gonna I'm gonna fall asleep I can't stay awake so he probably look he was looking to maybe change his position but he found himself sitting in that window maybe looking out uh, having you know being distracted by what was going on outside or maybe just for the fresh air either way the story tells us that his eyelids got too heavy the cool air outside may have not may not have been refreshing enough and Paul's sermon was maybe a little bit too long and this young boy falls asleep in the window and it tells us that he fell into not just a, 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 a light sleep he was in a deep sleep so in verse 9 it says and there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep and as Paul was long preaching he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead now wow um, um, I know from time to time where I can see you I can't see you now um, but I, I know from time to time that some of you through my long preaching uh, end up closing one eye and then the other um, 
so yes, I can understand after hours of preaching how this uh, this uh, boy might have felt a little bit tired after a, a, maybe a big meal. They probably had thrown extra food in there as well, to, so everyone had a, a wonderful meal to remember. Um, and he was falling asleep in the window. Um, but imagine for a moment, and this is the only story we hear about Eutychus and the whole of, of the Bible. Imagine being now known as the person who fell asleep during Paul's sermon and fell out of a window. It reminds me of a, of a pastor that I uh, that I had um, at, when we were at Meadow View. Some of us, some of you, remember Mark Snyder. And he told a story. While he was in seminary, so this is where he was doing his uh, his Bible training to become a pastor. He was in seminary and he obviously lived there. They had to get up for chapel very early in the morning. I think the chapel was at six o'clock or six thirty, something like that. So they had to be all ready and be at chapel, all dressed up and you know everything like that. Um, and this morning he was just way too tired, um, so he he managed to sneak in, you know, towards uh, maybe one of the last ones to get in, and he got a. a, a, um, a for the for the devotion for the the pastor uh, sharing that devotion he grabs a chair i think it was in the aisle like the the chair that was right next to the actual aisle probably more towards the back um and he falls asleep and he didn't even know he'd fallen asleep until something particularly funny happened he woke up in the middle of the aisle so he he got he, he woke up and he was actually in the middle of the aisle with everyone looking at him, including the pastor who was given the devotion. And so he quickly scrambled, jumped up on his feet and got back onto his chair. So, hey, even future pastors uh, can fall asleep during devotions. But Pastor Mark didn't fall out of a third story window. He fell from his chair onto the floor. Now, Eutychus fell and landed with a great force from the third floor on the ground below. Um, and what was a very close and quiet affair, can you imagine Paul's the only one, everyone would have been focused on him, would have been quickly interrupted with gasps of people running to the window and seeing what had happened to Eutychus. I mean, that, that sermon would have been finished at that particular point without, without notice. Um, and immediately they, they ran down to, to attend to him. They, can you imagine that they you hear someone going, oh, Eutychus, he's fallen out. Um, and then they, they, they all, ran, all ran down. But when they got there, it says they they took him up. So they 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 held him, but he was dead in their arms. And the and, and Luke says that, and Luke knows when someone was dead and when someone wasn't. So the, the kid was unfortunately dead after falling out of that window. Um, but can you imagine the serene picture of a church service being thrown into absolute turmoil? Uh, but what had just happened? Paul Sermon was. Um, no longer the most important thing, you know, even though everyone was probably focused on that. No, it was the life of the boy that was more important than anything else now. So when they reached in, they found him, unfortunately, they found him dead. What a tragedy, though. I mean, what they were hoping would have been a, you know, a, a wonderful time to remember, to celebrate the time that Paul and the other disciples had visited them at Troas. Now, the, the thing that was going to be remembered was the death of Eutychus. What a time to what a way to remember Paul's final time at their church. But then Paul goes down in verse 10. It says, And Paul went down and fell on him, and embracing him, said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. Oh, can you imagine the relief 
I mean, I, I can imagine as people were had rushing down, they were praying to the Lord in their minds, please, Lord, make, make him be all right. Please, Lord, you know, please make, uh, heal him if, he's, if something's happened to him. And so they're pleading with the Lord uh, to save Eutychus. And down comes Paul. And Paul, it says he fell on him. It doesn't say, um, when it says he fell on him, it doesn't mean he tripped and, and fell on top of him as well. No, he, Paul, Paul went and embraced him and took him up. Um, and in a miraculous answer to their heartfelt prayers, Paul says, don't worry, he's alive. The li his life is in him. He's alive, really? Really? Well, we, we, he was dead a second ago. What a praise. What a relief. I can guarantee you that one thing at this particular point, there was no one who was sleepy or sleeping at this particular point. The whole church had been awakened by the power of God. Um, and there's a lesson in that for us as well. You know, God, through his working in difficult circumstances, and that was a very difficult circumstance. That was something that they, were, they had feared. When God comes in and does something miraculous in our lives and does something that only he can answer, um, it revives us. It excites us. It reinvigorates us. And that's what happened to them in this very instance. Um, did Paul stop preaching at midnight because of the incident? No way. Uh, God was in their midst. God had revealed himself to them, even in this accident. Um, they celebrated by bringing this young boy back upstairs. And, and it, it says they even had something else to eat again. Um, but look what happened even after midnight. Verse 11 says, And when they were there for, uh, when he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten, they ate, they ate again and talked a long while, even till break of day. So he departed. Did Paul stop his preaching? Did he stop talking to them? Did they stop uh, wanting to know about the things of God and what God had been doing to, you know, in the church? And No way. In fact, he got his second wind and they all got their second wind and kept going until dawn. Um, took, talking with the brethren, encouraging them in the faith. What an amazing thing when you think about it. I mean, by midnight, most people would have been dead tired. But this thing actually made them alive again. It gave them life again. It gave them energy again. They got excited again. And that's what happens when we see God working in our midst. And he has done this many times in our own lives, we, in, in the midst of our church. When, when he answers prayers, it reinvigorates us. So my encouragement to all of you is keep believing, keep having faith, and keep, keep seeking God's intervention in our lives. Because when he answers, it is such a blessing that it reinvigorates us. They, in verse 12, it says, and they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. That's funny. It's an interesting way of saying it. They say it in the reverse. They were not a little comforted. That means they were a lot comforted. That means they had a lot of relief. The young man was alive and Paul could now leave with joy. Not just, not just say, oh, we had a good time together, but now they had a story that goes around this whole meeting together that where he was dead, now he was alive. Even though um, uh, this accident happened, what could have been a very sad departure with much grief. Now, even though there was sadness because they wouldn't probably see Paul again, their hearts were filled with joy because God was at work. So let me share some messages with you or some lessons for this particular um, uh, story. I wonder... 
as Eutychus was sitting in that window and had fallen asleep, I wonder if there was anyone who was watching him sitting in that window, that young boy. Imagine a 14, 15-year-old kid sitting in a window. There was always probably going to be a chance that something might go wrong. But was anyone looking at him while Paul was preaching? Yeah, maybe he'd been there before. Maybe this is he was his favorite hangout spot. Maybe this is the place where he would, you know, where everyone sort of goes in the same place in church. Maybe this is the place that he's that he would, you know, be sitting at. So no one paid him any real attention. But maybe they were so engrossed with Paul's preaching and what they had to get out of it that they didn't take notice of the young boy. Uh, maybe they were sleepy themselves and were doing all they could to stay awake and stay focused by just trying to listen to what Paul was saying. Either way, Eutychus, it seemed, was pretty much on his own. He was sleeping in a window. No one was looking at him. Everyone was either half asleep or focused on Paul trying to listen to what he was saying. And Eutychus, in a sense, becomes a picture of someone who is caught between the world and the church. He's sort of halfway between. He's not in the church because he's sitting in a window and he's, and he's sort of listening, but he's maybe paying attention to what's going outside. He's, he's, he's enjoying the, the cool breeze of what's happening outside and eventually he falls and falls outside. <clears throat> Eutychus was maybe caught between that space and there was no one paying attention to him. There was no one there to nudge him and say, Eutychus, what are you doing? You're, you know, you're, you're falling asleep. Be careful. No one in the whole church, in all those people, were paying attention to Eutychus. You know, it reminds me of a, a story of a, 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 just a special couple that came to Australia for a few years, Carl and Selma. Um, brother Carl and, uh, and, and sister uh, Selma were, um, uh, were involved in uh, an outreach to the University uh, of Melbourne. And uh, we became involved in that uh, in their, um, while they were here. But uh, Brother Carl uh, wrote Disciples and Deeds. So the, that advanced discipleship program that we, uh, that we have at church and that many of you are actually doing at the moment um, was written by this particular fellow. Well, Carl um, had a type of diabetes where if the sugar level goes too low, he starts to fall asleep. Um, Carl and Wilma, sorry, actually, I've just received the news that it wasn't Carl and Selma, it was Carl and Wilma. Sorry, mixed my, my mess up. Anyway, so he had diabetes. So we would often watch, and I'd sit more towards the back of the church on a Sunday morning, and Carl and, Carl and, and Wilma were, were more towards the front. And so we'd normally be sitting behind them, but it was interesting on a Sunday morning that if the message went for a little bit too long, you'd, started to, you'd start to notice Carl's head begin to droop to one side. But then his, his wife, the ever-faithful one, was uh, always alert to see what he was up to. And as she noticed he was starting to, to, to droop and fall asleep, she, we'd, we'd notice she'd give him a, a swift um, uh, nudge and he'd, he'd, he'd wake back up again. And we found that funny, but it's nice to have someone who's keeping an eye on you and, um, and is able to uh, uh, give you a bit of a nudge when you may be falling asleep or when you may be going in the wrong direction. Um, and the lesson for us is um, we can become so engrossed 
in our own things. Um, we can become so focused that we forget about other people. You know, the, one of the devices the devil uses against us, and we've been looking at this on Wednesday evenings, is distraction. One of the best ways to distract us is to keep us preoccupied with one thing and forget to do the other things, okay? Um, we can become so engrossed um, in one thing that we forget that there's a number of things that we have to be doing at the same time. We can be so engrossed in doing what we want that we forget what's necessary for others as well. In this case, the young man Eutychus was stuck in a precarious position with no one looking at him because they were so engrossed with Paul's sermon. You might say, oh yeah, but that was the right thing to do to listen to Paul's sermon. You're right. But was it the right thing to do to forget about him sitting in that window? Well, no. So we don't know if Eutychus was saved or not. Maybe he'd heard this sermon before. Maybe his mind had switched off when Paul started talking about the gospel. But either way, Eutychus was hanging between the world and the church, between death and life. And no one had noticed that his head had dropped down and he was in a deep sleep. The picture here is a lesson for every one of us. How tragic is a death when, a person who, when the person who was died was in that window when they were hanging between the world and believing in Jesus. What a tragic outcome that would be if they were involved in the church, if they were coming to faith, if someone was coming to faith today um, and they were sort of just hovering around the edge, I would maybe come in the church and I would maybe enjoying some of the fellowship that was going on, but they didn't know Christ as their saviour. They were sort of in the church, but they weren't. They were just there in that window, hovering between the world and the church. But there was no one in the church to, to ask them the question, to nudge them and say, brother, are you asleep or awake? What a tragic death that is when people who are close to the kingdom of God don't go through that door. And so the lesson for us is to keep an eye on each other. The lesson for us is to understand that even though we may be busy with the stuff we're doing, even though what we are doing may be good, that we're always called to look out one for another. If someone dies in that state, if someone dies and, and we didn't really share the gospel with them, if someone even leaves and falls back into the world, um, we would probably most likely blame ourselves for not being more bold to share the gospel with them. Maybe we should have kept a closer eye on them. Um, I'm not sure if many of you or any of you carry this type of burden. Uh, I know that I do. I do with my relatives who have passed away. Um, I feel like sometimes, and I have many relatives who are, who are still lost in the, in, in the world or they're lost in religion. And I know deep down they don't know the Lord Jesus. And so if one of them passes away, I feel like I should have said more. I could have done more. Uh, I feel it most acutely with a, a friend of mine who I knew from a young age who committed suicide a long time or a few years ago, um, who I was trying to help, but I constantly asked myself whether I should have done more or could have done more. 
we should never, brothers and sisters, we should never lose sight of our responsibility to serve one another. And that's the commandment from our Lord. We are called to serve one another. And the very fact that he actually washed his disciples' feet, which is quite a demeaning act if you think about it, he calls each of us to do one for another. So we've got to keep an eye on each other. We're called to love one another. We keep to keep, we're called to, to look out for each other. Um, from the very beginning, God told us, God showed us through a terrible uh, story with Cain and Abel um, that we are our brother's keeper. And so my um, encouragement to you is to keep on doing that, to look out for people who are in our church who may not know the Lord, ask them the question, encourage them to, to walk through that door, to get to know Jesus personally. We should never lose sight of our responsibility to serve one another. Um, and so let's let's do that with a passion, uh, even though we may be busy with our, our, our stuff that we do. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And in verse 5 to 11, he gives us a, the Apostle Paul gives us a, a wonderful um, summary of what we are to do as children of the light. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5 says, Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. We are called to comfort and edify each other in the faith with love. We're, not, we're called not to fall asleep as the world sleeps in the darkness, but we are not called to sleep in the light either. We are called to put on the armour, and that armour he speaks of is faith and love and the hope that we have, because we don't live in the darkness anymore. If you've believed the gospel this morning, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have the light of God within you and you are called to be the light to the world. We are called to help others with the light that we have, to share that light, to watch and be sober, to watch out for people like Eutychus who are, for, who are caught between the world and the church, to tell them to step in because you're in precarious position. So we're called to warn others of the dangers they face when they sleep in that darkness or when they try to live in that darkness. This is no time for the church to be asleep. The world needs the church awake. Unfortunately, the devil has made a wonderful job of getting, people, of getting Christians to sleep in the light. But we are called to be lights on a hill, not lights stuck under a basket. We are called to shine brightly, not to be diminished, because hell is too real 
and too many people are entering into it every day. The Bible tells us that hell has enlarged its mouth to take in, to accommodate all these people that are dying at the moment with the world and number of deaths that are occurring every day. The majority of them are still going to hell. There is so much work to do. And yet there are so many Christians who are sleeping, who are not sober and not watchful about what's happening around them. The time is short and so are our lives. The time we have here is so precious. We need to make sure we use it wisely. The lost people are many and there are too many people living in the darkness and are dead in the darkness. The days, as the Bible says, are evil and becoming more so. So that's the first message to the church. The second message I want to give you, the second um, uh, picture that I want to give you and remind you is that it wasn't the Apostle Paul who gave Eutychus his life, life back. It wasn't some special thing that was in Paul. No, it was God who gave him his, his life. Eutychus was given life from God when he was dead in the world. And in essence, what happens when a person dies in the world we have to die, I suppose, to the world in order to receive the life that God has given us in Jesus Christ. Not a physical death, but we have to die to the world. So Eutychus also becomes like a picture of the believer who gets saved from the world. That's a picture that baptism gives us. You know, going under that water in, the, in a few weeks, we have, we'll have a number of people who have chosen to be um, uh, baptized and that is a picture. That's what they're doing is declaring to everyone else that they have died. Their old self is dead now. And then when they come up out of the water, they're declaring to everyone they've got new life. That's essentially what happened to Eutychus. He died in the world. And, and when he was given life, it was a picture that he, was, he died to the world as well. And it was only God who can give him that life. And only, it's only God who can give you and I life when we are dead in the world. So Eutychus can be seen as a picture of someone who's been given life by God, even though he was dead in the world. He was, after that, brought up again into that third floor, into that church meeting and given something to eat. I can assure you that he was no longer sitting in the window. I can assure you that people were keeping a lookout for anyone else who may have thought about sitting in that window. I'm sure that at that meal, Eutychus was probably sitting maybe even next to Paul and was being watched closely by everyone as they were rejoicing at his redemption. That's a picture of salvation. What a picture of salvation. He was dead in the world. The apostle Paul went to him which is a picture of someone going to you and sharing the gospel. This, this kid who was dead is raised up to life. And where was he brought? He was brought up to the third floor. Which is a picture of heaven. Which is a picture of the fellowship that we have with each other in Christ. Sitting together at that table. Rejoicing at the salvation that had just occurred. Are you looking forward to being in that place one day? Well, I believe we are already there in spirit. 
If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace he is saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that picture that we have of Eutychus, who had dropped all the way down to the ground, he died in the world, but even though he was dead, he was given life and then brought back up to that third floor and was now within the church, enjoying the fellowship, being made a fuss over, being rejoiced over, having fellowship with the other saints. That is a picture of what happens to us when we're saved. So my question to you, finally, is, are you Eutychus? Have you heard the gospel before? Maybe it bores you. Maybe I bore you. But it may be that your salvation, your very soul, hangs in a balance between life and death this morning. Maybe you're teetering between the world and the kingdom of God. You know, Eutychus would not have died if he'd fallen into the church meeting. May have been a little bit embarrassed, but falling into the depths of the world only brings death and despair. The church on that third floor is a picture of how high above the world we're supposed to live. Our meetings, our fellowship are really a taste, a small taste of heaven that's given to us by God. That gives us hope, that gives us love, that allows us to rejoice in what we have in him. The church, we enjoy even if, if it is over electronically, it's just simply a taste of what's coming. Maybe you're listening to my words this morning and you like the fellowship you see at faith. Maybe you see the other believers in church and you might say, well, look how happy they are. Or you see a love that you maybe haven't seen in other places. Maybe you enjoy hearing things from the Bible as I did before I got saved. And you're, you're beginning to understand how many wonders it contains and how special a book it actually is. But maybe you're not in the church yet. I'm not talking about membership here. I'm talking about are you sitting in a window between the world and the church and you haven't quite made up your mind. You're trying to listen to what's going on there because you know it's probably right. But at the same time, you want the world as well. You're trying maybe to enjoy both at the same time and maybe you're not part of either of them. Don't fall asleep in the window. Don't think that the world might keep you filled with interesting things while you know deep down that it's the love of God and his word that you need. Let me be clear with you. If this is you this morning, then the love that you see at our church, the things that you, you are part of maybe in our church, are not really what you need. You know what you really need? It's the love of God. 
Yes, you may enjoy the love and the fellowship that you see around you, but we can't sustain you. We can't give you life, just as the Apostle Paul couldn't give Eutychus life. It's God who can only give you life. So even though you may see the love of God within us, that's not the love that you need. You need his love, his direct love, and he's offering that love to you this morning. He wants to give you life. You may be already dead in the world. You may have fallen out of that window. But my, my plead with you is, don't go there. If you can, step within. Step inside. Receive his salvation. Receive life from him by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, by understanding that you can't save yourself and that he died for your sins on that cross and you simply need to trust him and tell him if you have. If you fall out of that window today, there is no guarantee that you'll have another chance. So make the decision, make the choice. Who are you in this story today? Are you part of someone in the church who's maybe too engrossed in what they're doing or maybe the message that was being um, delivered to be watchful? Then be watchful. Don't just do the things that you like doing. Do what's necessary. Follow what the word of God says for us to do. If you don't have the Lord Jesus, if you're not sure, if you're teetering between the world and the church, then make that decision. I pray that this sermon has been a blessing to all of you. I know it has for me. I know it's still that story still continues to be an absolute blessing to me. But I pray that each of you would have been blessed by this sermon today. And I look forward to seeing you all face to face very soon by the grace of God. I'm going to close in a word of prayer and then we'll close the service today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being with us. Um, yeah, God bless you all. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the story of Eutychus. We thank you that you have put that story in your precious word to show us what we should do. We thank you for that encouragement. We thank you for that challenge. I pray that we would follow you and seek to obey in every possible way. We thank you for those who are part, have been part of the service this morning. I pray for a special blessing upon each and every one of them. I pray if there's any who doesn't know you, that today would be that day when they walk through that door and they receive you as their saviour, when they come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and they are adopted into your kingdom. Bless us as we depart. Guide us by your grace. And may everything we do give you the honour and the glory because you deserve it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. I hope you have a lovely week. See you soon.